Today's scripture comes from the book of Genesis 1, 1 through 3, and John 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of men. This is the word of the Lord. I want to start by just saying last week we started a really, um, this very important series. I gave a rather big, a little bit long, lengthy message on um, the very first verse in the Bible, and actually not even the verse first in the Bible, first few words in the Bible, and I want to urge you, if you didn't hear that message, go to our YouTube channel or to our podcast and hear that message, please, okay? Um, but let's get into part two. Today's message is called, And God Said, And God Said, all right? Uh, let me, I'm not used to having my... My slides are ready. Let, let, let's let's do this. Okay. <laughs> Getting gotta get better at technology here. All right, part one, creatio ex nihilo. Creatio ex nihilo. That's Latin for uh, creation out of nothing. That's part one. All right. Part two, creation by word. What's important is word. Okay. Part two, creation by word. Part three, the word of life. Hope you don't want to just have a word of condemnation and a word of shame and a word of fear, which is really what's going on in our culture. But what we offer you from the Bible is the word of life. Okay? All right, let's go to part one. Creatio ex nihilo. And let's go to that verse again. In the beginning, God. All right? Last week, I talked a lot about those first three words, in the beginning. Um, today, let's talk a little bit about that next word. In the beginning, God. Right? This is how the Bible starts. And um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Very simple verse, right? It's actually not that simple. And I want to just pour out a few things out of this. In the beginning, God. It's incredibly efficient. It's very, very economical communication. And if you grew up in the church, you may have read this. I get it. Okay, fine. And then you move on in life. But people who have never read this, who grow up in a kind of a, you know, in a secular culture or maybe they grew up in a Buddhist culture, they, they don't know this. And there are tremendous implications of how the Bible starts. In the beginning, God. And I'll just start a few with this. In the beginning, so even before the beginning, it didn't say, well, there was a beginning and then God started. Then there was a God that began. No. There's a beginning and God is already there. <laughs> you see it? There's a beginning to all things. And I already asked that question, what is that? But here I want to just say, before there's a beginning, there's God. So let me just say a few things about this. Um, before there's anything, there's God. Right here, 
We already get right into the first verse. We haven't even gotten out of the first verse out of the Bible, and we're already being taught some tremendously important things about the Bible's presentation of who is God, what is God. What kind of a God are we talking about here? So let me point out a few things. Um, he's eternal. Reality as we know it is not eternal. <laughs> Reality as we know it has a beginning. <laughs> It has to start someplace. But God, no start. You see it? You see it there in the Bible? In the beginning, God. Right there in the Bible, before we even got out of, in the Hebrew, it's not even the fourth word. Here, we're talking the fourth word in English. In the Hebrew, it's the third word. Okay? Um, it actually goes something like, in the beginning, created God. And, you know, that's, you know, this is the way the, the third word is God. God is a subject. Let me tell you something right now. In reality, the most important subject, the most important person, the most important reality is the one who precedes creation. Before there's any kind of reality that you and I can like figure out and know in you know, space, time, stuff, me, talking, whatever, language, there's God. So he's eternal. Let me point out a few other things. Um, he is all-powerful. The old word is omnipotent. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, I'll, I'm going to say a little bit more about this. There's God, and then there wasn't anything besides God, and then there was everything from God. So one of the attributes of God is... He's omnipotent. That's the old, you know, Latin, uh, Latin word. Omni means all. Potentia is power, all-powerful. He's omnipotent. Let me show you another one. He is omnipresent. How do we know he's omnipresent? Because there's no place inside of the reality of all creation where he's not there. <laughs> so we have a very where this is really difficult for us to even comprehend. In one sense, we're like, I, I don't see God. Where is he? Well, he's here. But he's above. You know, we said God, you know, he's beyond all the universe. Yes, he's there. I used to uh, try to explain this. Um, the first time I tried to teach this a number of years ago, I used to have this rubber ball, and I used to bounce it. <laughs> and I would say, imagine that this is everything, creation. God holds this ball called creation, and he can bounce it. <laughs> and he's over here at this part, and he's over here at this part. He can go, okay, I'm over here. I'm over here. <laughs> he's everywhere. He's present everywhere. Okay? Let me say next thing. Um, he's omniscient. Omni, all, scientia means knowledge. He has all knowledge. He knows everything. So, we're not even out of the first verse of the Bible, and most people have figured out, wow, the Bible is already teaching you something about this God, and it's wild. He is, he is omnipotent. He is omnipresent. He is eternal. There's no beginning to him. And he knows all things. He just, just boom, he makes it. He knows everything about it. Okay? 
And let me tell you one more thing that's already being taught here, which is, this is a little bit of a, a difficult thing to wrap your mind around, and that is, he doesn't need the creation. Okay, you and I, there has to be some other reality, and we need it to exist. So just for example, if there was no mom, there'd be no you. If there was no dad, there'd be no you. There has to be some other being, some other created reality, and then we exist. If there's no sun, there's no you. <laughs> if there's no earth, there's no oxygen, there's no atmosphere, all these things, something else exists, and then we can be inside of it, and we need those things to exist. God doesn't need any of that. He fully has completely exists of himself. See, we are not, you know, we don't have our reality of ourselves. Something else has to exist, and then now we can have a self. So there is a term that the theologians use, which is this attribute of God. I already gave you the eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. I call those the godness of God, the omnis, right? But the one that most people don't think about or don't understand is this one, which is called azeity. Aze. A is without, you know, you know, azeity. I mean, I'm out, not without, out of. A is out of. Ze is the self. Only God exists out of himself. Where does God come from? From himself. Where does his wisdom come from? From himself. Where do his plans come from? From himself. Where do all of the omnipotence, omniscience, all of those things of God come from? From himself. Now, I want to say a little more about this, but just for time's sake, I can't, okay? But I do want to say this. Okay, why am I giving you all these things? For a couple thousand years, in the West anyway, Christian theologians and the church read this from the Bible, and everybody said, this is God, and they said, got it. Any other gods that don't have these attributes, they're not God. They're not real. <laughs> okay? And so all the people who grew up in the West, even if they weren't you know, really faithful Christians, when they had this view, God, they had this being <laughs> before anything was. He created all things. And omnipotent, omniscient, you know, aseity, only of himself. He doesn't need any of us. But then after you get outside of this view, there's all these other pictures of God. You have this word God. And you know what? They don't actually believe all these things. You get outside of the West, and actually in the West now, it's all crumbling, this understanding of God, which is one of the reasons why I'm having, we're having this series. But some, let me give you some other very common conceptions of God outside, especially outside of the West, and now increasingly in America, which is there's a God, and that God doesn't know everything. <laughs> that God is not eternal. That God could die. <laughs> this God has some powers, but he's not all-powerful. And then there's this God, he has power over the sea. He has this God, he has power over the air. This God has some power over time. And so all around the world and throughout history, you have gods who have some portion of God-like attributes, but they're nothing like this God. And so the general term for that is polytheism. And inside of polytheism, you get a smaller being that they call God, 
and they worship and they pray to, but that God needs everything. He's, it, it, reality doesn't come out of him, out of himself. He needs all these other things, and then now he can have a self. You get what I'm saying? Poseidon is the God over the sea. If there isn't, he can't be God. He has only the sea. If there's no sea, there's not much of a God. <laughs> but this God, he's God of himself out of himself. He needs nothing else. And let me give you another conception of God. Out, outside of the West, this is the, this is the common conception of the largest vision of God. So outside of the West, you know, uh, you have a, a sense of God, and the God is not, is not a personal God. That God needs the world, and he's kind of wrapped up and, you know, forms the fabric of the whole world. So Hindus believe in this type of God, and the theologian's name for this is pantheism. Pan means all. Theos is God. Pantheism. God. All, all is God. Or sometimes they, they use the term panentheism. Pan means all. and means in. Theos is God. The God is in everything. So just to try to make this familiar for you, you ever watch Star Wars? <laughs> the Force. May the Force be with you. Let's get in touch with the Force. I'm, I'm, I'm a Yoda, <laughs> Jedi. And then there's this divine power. The Force holds all things together. There's a dark side of the Force. <laughs> there's a good side of the Force. Darth Vader's on the dark side, you know? That whole power that holds all things together, that's a pantheistic understanding of God. And guess what? A pantheistic understanding of God needs the world. <laughs> if the world doesn't exist, that God is not much. Because all the Buddhists and the Hindus and all these people out there, they realize it can't just be this material stuff. We can't just have this stuff. There must be something more in the world, and then that is what holds the world together, and that's, sometimes they don't use this term God. Um, the Chinese use this term yin and yang. Right? So all things are held together by this power called yin and yang. There's a hard side. There's a soft side. There's a good side. There, there's a light, and then there's dark. Doesn't that sound a lot like the dark side of the force <laughs> and the good side of the force? It sounds a lot like that because it is like that. <laughs> so I want to just start right here. <laughs> We're right at the beginning of the Bible, and we've got to talking about what kind of God we're here, okay? Um, let's move on. God created. In the beginning, God created. All right. And I want to just uh, say a little something about this. Um, here, we're talking about this being. When he makes something, it is from nothing. That's what ex nihilo means. Creation, ex nihilo, out of nothing. You and I, we can't do that. <laughs> you know who else can do that? Nobody. Nobody. And here's the first thing I want to talk about. There is, the theologians have this line that is principle. We call, they call it the creator and creature distinction. I know I'm throwing a lot of vocabulary out you, but somehow this is missing in the minds of a lot of Christians today, and it's causing a lot of tr problems. And what is the creator-creature distinction? It is this. Only God creates from nothing. You know, we have um, some wonderful artists in, in, in our church. 
they create. We use this word, they create something, right? But they need color. They need software. Or you need pens. You need, you need painting. You have to have some stuff. And out of that stuff, we make, and we call it creating. And it's not bad, because you know what you're doing? You're being like God. But nobody's truly, ultimately like God, because when God creates, he creates with omnipotence, with omniscience. So when he says and he makes, it comes to reality. Boom. That's what, and nobody else is like that. And I just want to say one implication about this. There is this idea today that there's God, and he's bad, your life goes bad, and you get angry at God, and then, you know, you, you curse God because God is bad. Because we have this view that God is like us. God is like a gigantic old man in the sky. And he's mean to me. He's like my daddy, except he's bigger. And my daddy wasn't nice to me. And God is like my daddy, and he's a bad daddy. And that's why my life isn't going great. And then we get mad at God. But actually, just even thinking like that, I want to say you're not thinking according to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. There's a God who comes into the reality, who's present reality for you, but there's a part of God, I mean, we just, we just can't, you can't even, there's no way your mind can even grasp this. Um, there's an essay where C.S. Lewis talks about, um, about uh, there's Jesus, and then there's the devil, and some people tend to think, well, there's Jesus, and then there's the devil, or there's God, and then there's the devil. There's God and the devil. And then as if the devil is the opposite of God. And you know what he says? He says, well, that's really dumb. <laughs> there is no corresponding opposite of God. If there's a, something that's the opposite of the devil, it's more like the archangel Michael. You see? Michael's made <laughs> by God. The devil's made by God. They're at the same realm of reality. This being can go up against this being, but this being can't go up against God. <laughs> You can't go up against God. He's on a whole nother plane, whole nother reality. When people think they can go up against God, that's really absolutely insane. <laughs> you might as well like wake up in the morning and say, let's defeat gravity. <laughs> let's defeat gravity. I don't like oxygen. Let's get rid of oxygen. <laughs> it's actually even dumber than that because all that we need all of reality itself, he upholds and unders. And, he, and without God, everything just is like bad. <laughs> so the goodness of God, the wonder of God, we absolutely infinitely underestimate. To begin to curse God is an absolute craziness. Okay? That's where I want to start. Okay. Gosh, there's a lot going on. Let's, let's speed up a little bit here. In the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth. So this, all of this could take more time, but I'm just trying to be efficient here, okay? Sometimes people think there's earth, there's this, and then there's heaven. And when I was young, I used to think of it as there's heaven and hell, and then there's like earth, what we experience. And that's what some people think is being said here in this verse. That isn't what's being said in this verse. The heavens and the earth in this, in, in this first verse means this. God, in the beginning, God created everything. 
The heavens and the earth is kind of like this. When you take two things that are like the, ex the extreme extent of all things, that's another way of saying everything. It's kind of like saying God created everything from the left to the right. God created the left and the right. Look to the left. Look to the right. God created it. Look at heaven and earth. God created it. Look at up and down. God created it. That's just another way of saying out of nothing, he created everything. Okay? That's verse 1. Let's go to verse 2. Verse 2. Um, I want to, let's try to do this quickly here, uh, but it's very, very important. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And I want to highlight certain words here. The earth was without form and void, right? And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. First verse is tremendously important. But the second verse is longer. <laughs> but it's telling you kind of the same thing in multiple different ways. And here's what it's saying. It's ancient language. The earth was without form and void. I don't even know how to describe this. It's like there's earth and it's just like it's a void. It's, it's a, it, there's no, no form to it. There's no order to it. It's just a big blob of stuff. That's what it's saying. It goes on and says, and the darkness was over the face of the deep. I mean, I, I, theologians ask, what is the deep? <laughs> it just means it goes out there and like, <laughs> and you know what's going, when we go out there and you can't see beyond the deep, it's dark. And you know what that means? This is really interesting. God made all things and darkness was just already right there. And there's some stuff, but it's just without form and void. One of uh, the scholars I read, he said, this is the ancient way to say the earth was chaos. <laughs> chaos just means it's kind of messy, isn't it? No, that's not what it means. <laughs> when something in chaos, it's, uh, you don't want to be in chaos. <laughs> you don't want to be in chaos. When something is chaos, it's not good. <laughs> not yet, anyway. And here's where it's begun. So before God has really started his work, he's made everything, but at the beginning, it was like this. But then there is this, this portion of the verse that offers us hope. And the Spirit of God, sometimes it's pronounced the, the breath of God, the Ruach of Elohim. Ruach Elohim, that's the Hebrew. I think this is the right translation. Ruach is also the Hebrew word for spirit. The spirit of God was over the face of the waters. So let's just stop for a moment here. It's interesting. There's, there's earth, <laughs> there's the deep, and there's waters. And not yet, generally the Bible has kind of two visions about water, especially in the ancient world. And... Water, we all know that without water, we cannot live. See, we have no aseity. No water, we're going to die. 
So in that sense, water is a source of life and it's good. But that's one version and vision and understanding of water. But this is uh, a different version, a darker version. Waters is the place where if there's no land, if there's no earth, and it's not, and it has form, and it is beautiful and is ordered, then we have no life. <laughs> See, if the earth is without form and void, there can be no life. And if the waters are just flow over all things, there could be no life. This is what verse 2 is saying. This is the ancient way of talking about how ancient man was afraid of the waters. The ocean was powerful and scary. And floods could destroy our land and kill our crops and we would die. The waters were a threat. But here it says, the breath of God, the spirit of God would hold back the death. And now creation could begin. See, this is what verse 2 is saying. So what we have is God made all things, this unbelievable being, he made all things. This is the beginning of how the Bible talks. And now let's go to part two. All right? Let's go to part two. Creation by word. And um, let me just read verse two. And I just gave you this rather dark and foreboding and actually a scary picture of what reality could be. Reality could be scary without form and void. It's chaotic. The earth was without form and void. The darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, which means there might not could be like possibly no life. And then here's verse 3. And God said. And God said. Where does creation come from? What God says. That's what God says. Where does creation come from? It's from his word. God speaks. And now, the earth, <laughs> there will be light that will go into I mean, he, what he says is that let there be light. I'm not going to even talk about that today. I'm, we'll talk about that next week. I just want to sit here. And God said, a lot of people... If you grow up inside of a Christian culture, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, God said. Okay, boom. Um, you know that the force doesn't talk. <laughs> the force doesn't talk. You ever, like, watch, you watch Star Wars? Obi-Wan doesn't go, the force, please come to me. Give us, you know, reveal some truth to me. <laughs> and then the force shows up and goes, Obi-Wan, you are favored and you are loved. No, it never happens. <laughs> Because the force is not a person. The force is just some nebulous power that's out there. Yin and yang never talk. So people don't think about this. If you live in a very Christianized culture and the only conception of God is this God, we go, well, of course God talks. How else can he be God? If God doesn't talk, not much of a God. And yet, in other parts of the world, they believe in a God that doesn't talk all the time. But you get to verse 3 of the Bible, it is so important. 
He speaks. He gives words. And then the great stuff starts to happen, right? See, the great stuff at the beginning just made everything. Boom. <laughs> but it could be, it might, not be, it might not be good. But then he speaks. And I want to um, say a little something about this. This is the next attribute of God. I already told you, aziety, or like you're still trying to wrap your brain around this thing. Just keep thinking about it, okay? It's absolutely important. There are Christian theologians that don't get that doctrine of aziety. Those guys should be fired. Because <laughs> they're not talking about the God of the Bible now. It turns like, like, we talk about God, we call him Jesus, and then somehow like, it becomes like a Mormon conception of God because he's now in the world. <laughs> See, the Mormon conception of God is like, he, it seems like it's the God of the Bible, but then you find out he needs the world. <laughs> he's a God in the world. So that's not Aziti. But now, let me tell you one other really important attribute of God, and you get this from verse 3, those very, very important words, and God said, which is, he's a person who speaks. <laughs> so, um, let me say a little something about this. Um, a lot of people would think there's all these different gods out there. This is the claim of the Bible. There's one real God. All the other gods are fake. They're phony. There's something's wrong with it. This is really interesting. When I was young, I used to think there must be all these other conceptions of God, and ours is just kind of one among many. So then... I asked the question that a lot of the kids today ask, which is, how do you know ours is the right one? <laughs> My daughter, when she was little, she says, they got their book too. <laughs> how do you know our book is the right one? And I'm, I'm going to give you, and the Bible says everybody kind of knows that what the right God is supposed to be like. There's a place inside of our heart where the true God is kind of known, but we don't know. It's kind of like we know, but we don't know. There's a weird schizophrenia confusion to all sinful minds. And it's like there's a strange, like deep knowledge which is hidden and messed up. And I want to just give you like two pieces of evidence. Now as I'm older, and especially as I'm living in a culture that used to kind of have an understanding of this God, and now that's all like broken and messed up, and I'm meeting people all the time, it's very strange they're looking for this God. How do you know? They're looking for the omnipotent God, the all-wise omniscient God, the God who is everywhere. See, if he isn't everywhere, you have to go to his temple. <laughs> do you know that in Thailand, you can't just talk to God? I'm just going to talk to God. <laughs> you have to go to his temple because he's not everywhere. But the other thing is a lot of other people, they don't actually think that he's a person that will speak back. And then you can have a relationship. You speak to him, and he speaks to you. We can have a relationship. Okay? But you know what? Everywhere you go in the world, when you start talking about God, that's the kind of God they want. <laughs> Everywhere. I'll give you two examples. Right here in our city. You can meet them too. So I'm not making this stuff up. If you think I'm making this stuff up, I want you to test this. I want you to go to another country and start talking about God. See what kind of a God they're looking for, or at least hoping for. So I have, my wife and I have this dear, there's dear friends, are, they're Indian. You know, they, you know they, they embrace some version of Hinduism. 
when I, um, when I uh, meet them, my read on them is that he's from India and he's more Hindu. Okay, he's more Hindu. So he believes in the religion of his ancestors. He believes in there's a God that's everywhere, pantheism. But in order to speak to God, he speaks to specific instantiations of God. So he believes in multiple gods, and that's how he connects to God. So he actually, this is how Hinduism works. There is a God that holds all things together, but you can't talk to him. And then in order to talk to a God, you've got to go to a God inside, and then you can talk to multiple ones of them. And all those gods are connected to, like, the big God. That's Hinduism. That's also how Buddhism works. Most Buddhists, they do this is how they operate. Pretty much outside of the West, if they believe in a large vision of God, something like a pantheism or panentheistic vision of God, they usually pray to some polytheistic person of God because they want to pray. The wife is, grew up in America. She's more Americanized. When she's looking for God, when I listen to her, I'm going like, you're looking for the God of the Bible. <laughs> in their mind, God is personal. He speaks word, but they've never heard it through Hinduism. <laughs> it's really interesting to me. When I hear them talk like that, I would just go, oh, <laughs> I know that God. <laughs> help me to, let me, you know, like, I can help you meet him, the real God. He's personal, speaks. You can speak to him, and he'll speak to you. Let me give another version, and this is really weird. Um, there was a member of my church a number of years ago. He watched some YouTube clip, and this person was an atheist. Uh, this person was an atheist, proud atheist. And got on this YouTube clip, and went on this rant and started cussing out God. F you, God, blah, blah, blah. God, I hate you. Right? And this member of my church said, and he shared this YouTube clip to me and said, well, that's really, really weird. Why is this person talking to someone that doesn't exist? Isn't he an atheist? Ah means without, theos, God. There is no God. If there is no God, who the heck is this person cursing? Who the heck is this person mad at? This person is actually mad at God for not existing. <laughs> at least he thinks it doesn't exist. I was like, well, that's really weird. It's really common. Talk to your friends who are atheists or agnostic. A lot of them hate God, which is really weird. I have a friend who's atheist. He doesn't hate God. He's actually really rational and logical. He just thinks, it's too, I wish there was a being like that that existed, but he don't. <laughs> he likes Christians. He likes Christians. He actually thinks something like Christianity is needed in our society. He just himself just can't get himself to believe in it. That's, ration, that's a rational kind of atheism. Most of our atheist friends, they're angry at God for not existing. You know what they want? They want a personal God. There's this hole in their heart of the real God, and they're angry <laughs> that they haven't been loved by him, or at least they don't think they've been loved by him. He has been loved by them, but they just don't know it. Let's, I want to make another point here. 
So you think, gosh, you're making a lot out of, and God said, oh, yeah. <laughs> and God said, the world, you know what? The word makes world. That's the next point I want to make. Word makes world. Word makes world, not stuff makes world. <laughs> a lot of people think this today. In the secular world, there's stuff. Pull this thing out. Oh, well, there's a credit card. There's a plastic thing here. It's called money. It's like, it's real. There's some stuff. And since there's stuff, there's a world. Okay? So the stuff makes the world. And we're always interested in the stuff. Let me tell you something. That's backwards. <laughs> word makes world. You don't, you don't believe me. Isn't that really weird? Just, I want you to think about this. And um, it's, it's, it's a radical, in our 21st century, we are so enslaved to the secular understanding that stuff makes world, that even the Christians are utterly backwards on this. Actually, word makes world. And let me give you some examples. So let's say you meet some people, and they live way, way north in the world, <laughs> and we call them Eskimos. And they get so time of the year, and it's cold. It's called winter, which is cold a lot up there. And then they get in these little, like, you know, these things that we call, you know, igloos. And they're like, man, it's cold. It's winter. <laughs> okay? And then you meet some people, and they're from California. <laughs> and they're from San Jose. And they're like, man, it's cold. It's winter. And it's like 58 degrees. And they're like, man, let's put on this jacket. <laughs> Put on a jacket. It's like kind of raining a little. Oh, man, it's cold. It's winter. <laughs> okay? And you're like, hey, what does winter have in common? What is winter? What is winter? It's that time of year, like January. It's cold. A little wimpy northern cowboys, it's cold. Eskimos are like, it's cold, man. Dude, it's cold. It's like 80 below <laughs> in January. And let's go meet another person. They're from Australia. And they're like, in January, it ain't winter. <laughs> it's summer, man. <laughs> it's awesome in January. We're wearing shorts. We're going surfing. But I know what you're talking about. Because they're like, we have winter. It's just not in January. Now, why am I giving you those examples? What is winter? <laughs> There's this word. Winter. What is this word called winter? You have people, they think it's cold at 58 degrees. These other people, they think it's cold when it's like crazy below freezing. <laughs> like if you go out, we will die. That's cold to them. And then there are these people, what we call winter, they call summer. <laughs> but they go, we know what winter is. And if you go to the Eskimo, and if you go to Northern Californian, and if you go to the Australian, different cultures, maybe even different skin colors, they eat different stuff, they live in different worlds, don't they? No, they don't. <laughs> they all understand this word, winter. They all can talk to each other. Nobody gets confused. We all know what you're talking about. You can even go to Thailand. <laughs> They're like, winter. 
Yeah, we heard of it. <laughs> we heard of it. We don't really have it. <laughs> we don't really have it. We've heard of it, though. So my point is, there's this word and reality. There's the, do we have the stuff and the experience of the stuff, and then they're like, that's our reality. No. All these people know what reality is. They all have the same word, and they all know what it means. Hear what I'm saying? Word, actually, is more fundamental than the stuff, and even experience, because experience is completely different. Um, let me give you just one more example before I move on. This is like, come on, we're in Silicon Valley now. You know how you should know that the word makes world? Because you open this sucker up, and there's no stuff inside there. <laughs> there's no stuff inside there. We started this thing called digital. If you actually, what is the stuff of digital? It's just bits and bytes. <laughs> Go to, before there was this thing called digital, and you said, hey, bits and bytes. And people are like, what the heck are you talking about, man? If you go 50 years ago or 100 years ago, you go to a culture that doesn't have any smartphone. There's none of this stuff. They're like, what are you talking about, dude? <laughs> what is bits and bytes? Actually, you go into this world, and everything is ones and zeros. <laughs> but then somehow we can manipulate this, and really, it's words. <laughs> it's not words of a language that maybe you and I understand. There are these smart people, they have words, and they call it programming language. <laughs> it's word makes world, okay? Word makes world. And the reason human beings can be like this is because we are like God. I won't get into that yet because that's a later message. But we're like God, and so now we can understand there's this thing called world, we can just call creation. And it's, it's right to call it creation. Because creation is the place where world is made by word. Secular godless people think stuff just happens, and then somehow words came along, it just happened, evolved. <laughs> like uh, this thing came out of the soup, and then they started this thing called language, and then they made worlds. How did that happen? They have no idea. But they always think stuff is first. It's wrong. It's not a little wrong. It is wrong. <laughs> word makes world. Every human being you meet, they know it. They just don't know it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. What difference does this make? That word makes world. What difference does this make? And I want to get you to this. There's a big problem. Where is? And. Um, and I want to get at this question. If word makes world, whose word do you trust? Whose word do you believe? Of the world and all things, whose word do you believe? And I'm going to have a name for this problem. And uh, that name is says who. <laughs> Your whole conception of reality, of life, is from word. Where do you get that word? Says who? It matters. It really, really matters. And I want to just give you some examples of this. So this is why, like, 
depending on the, where the words come from and then your whole conception of the world. This is why cultures bump up against each other. You meet these people, they, they may live in the same like neighborhood as you, but their world has been made by words, and those words are completely at odds with your words. And so their world is going to clash to your world. Or to put another way, maybe they're not actually living in the real created world because there's real deep problems to the way their word makes the world. So, um, who do you believe? A lot of non-Christians today, so if you're listening to this message, you're not a Christian. You're one of these angry atheists, or you're secular, or you're Hindu, or you're Buddhist. I want to ask you, really, you know what the, the center of your life is? It's faith. What you believe. Who you believe. Whose words you believe. That's at the center of all life. All culture of how we do life, this is it. Hmm. Let me put it a little bit differently. There's this term, theology. Theos, God, logos, word. The words about God. At the center of all reality is the words about God, theology. At the center of every culture is theology. And in a society that has no theology, but they don't think they have a theology, they do have a theology, it's just the theology, they don't say this out loud, the theology is, there is no God, atheology, and the stuff makes the world. That's 21st century Silicon Valley. That's our theology. There is no God, or he doesn't matter, and the stuff makes the world. The Bible says, no way, that's not how it works. Now let me give you some examples about how tremendously important this is. As soon as I just start to do this, oh my goodness, you're going to feel this. When I was in college, I was an English major. And um, I was assigned a book in one of my classes. It was, um, I'd never heard of this book. But apparently it's kind of famous now. It's called The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. Any of you ever heard this book? Toni Morrison is a black American, and she won the Nobel Prize in Literature. And she wrote this book, The Bluest Eye. I read this book. I don't remember much about it, but here's what I remember. There's a black child, and she has a doll. The doll is white. And the doll has a blue eye. And she goes into a world, and she grows up in her world. And in her world, if you don't have blue eyes, you're not beautiful. <laughs> You're not beautiful. Hmm. Where does that word come from? <laughs> it is the word of man. <laughs> All the people around her, the words that are the powerful words, the loud words. All the people who are really powerful in society, they're shaping their society. Says, we'll tell you what is the beautiful. There's this word beautiful. You know what's beautiful? An eye that is blue. That's beautiful. This girl looks in the mirror and goes, I don't have one of those. I am not beautiful. <laughs> you know what that is? And man said. <laughs> 
If you live in the world without God, all you have is, and man said. <laughs> and all the words that you believe, I'm not even talking about your theology or whatever. I'm talking about something like beautiful. There's a word called beautiful. That word is beautiful. You believe in it, and then you get it, and it's given to you from man speaks. It's the word of man. If the only words you have is not from God, you are enslaved to man. I read that book, and what Toni Morrison said, I mean, it, like, it shook me. <laughs> and it made me want to cry. Why? Because I know that there's a better word, the word of God. <laughs> and what that little black girl believes about the eyes and what's beautiful is wrong. <laughs> See? I'll give you another example. It's a much worse example. There was a set of people in the middle of the 20th century, the Germans, and they had a word, Juden. Juden are Jews. Anybody here ever seen the movie Schindler's List? You have to see that movie. It's an all-time, all-time great movie. There's a place inside the movie that is just utterly haunting. There's a guy. I looked it up. He is the commandant of the Krakow Plotzkow concentration camp where they murder Jews. And his name is Amon Gut. The guy, he's played by Ralph, Ralph Fiennes, or Ray Fiennes, I don't know how you pronounce his name. I actually looked him up on Wikipedia, and I saw the picture of the real Amon Gut, and he actually looks like Ray Fiennes. <laughs> I don't know if that's why they picked him. And he is a monster. He is a monster. He pulls out a gun for fun, in the afternoon, and he just goes, he just points it around to Jews, and he just kills them and shoots them. It's a really good shot. He's a monster. And yet this is, there's this crazy, incredible, haunting part of the movie. There's a woman who is his servant, and she's Jewish. And he is secretly in love with her. He's secretly in love with her. She's this beautiful woman, and he's in love with her. And there's a place in there where he wants to go up, and he starts to stroke her face because he's tempted to kiss her. And then he goes, but you're Yudin. And in the word of man, in mid-20th century, German word of man, she's less than human. She, he wants to kiss her. She's so beautiful. And he's in love with her. That's the truth. That's actually the truth. He can experience how God made her in his image. So he knows, at one level, he knows the truth from God. By another level, the word of man, he is enslaved to the word of man. And then he starts to beat her. It's an absolutely horrifying sequence. And I don't want to get overly like melodramatic here. This is our world. <laughs> this is our world. If you have no created world, 
where God speaks. <laughs> if you have no created world where God speaks, how do you know that the word is good? How do you know? Uh, we could just feel that it's good. Kind of, kind of, because he could feel what is good too. But can you put it together into world and understand that we live in a created world? And word makes world. Or will we use only the word of man and break our world? So that's why am I in this series? I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to move to part three. You don't think we live in the world of the bluest eye and of Klotzkow concentration camp? We live in that world. We live in that world. You don't think we don't live? We live in that world. 21st century, postmodern, secular Silicon Valley is all word of man. It's all word of man. We care nothing about, and God said. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, if you don't want to live in the concentration camp, we must care about what God said. And then when we care about what God said, we will live in the world he created. <laughs> and then we could have life, okay? And let's close here. Part three, the word of life. John chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what it says. In the beginning was the Word. The Word. You know what that is? It's Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, retold. In the beginning. Can you see it? Here's Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning... God. Here's John chapter 1. In the beginning, the Word. If you continue on to that verse, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Do you hear it? In the beginning, so take out wherever it says the Word, and put in God, the same person. You see it? You see it? In the beginning, God. Genesis chapter 1, 1. John chapter 1, 1. In the beginning, the Word. You know what he's saying? He's saying, in the beginning, God. Except he's telling it to you by word. He was in the beginning with God. You know what that verse is doing? He's repeating it. This is very classic Hebrew. In Hebrew, in the ancient Hebrew language, they say it twice. <laughs> they say it once, and then they say it twice, so you don't miss it. He was, in the beginning, with God. It's weird, because the word is, doesn't, isn't a person. Now, word is, I thought it's just the stuff we say. But then he said he was with God, and he is God, and he's called the he. So verse 2, you know what that is? It's Genesis 1-1 all over again. In the beginning, he's with God. He is God. 
In the beginning, word makes world. Do you see it? Verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And God said, all things were made through him, all things came to be through him, and nothing came to be that came to be except through him. It's actually the better translation, right? And then verse 4, here's what I want to get to you. We'll get toward the close of our message. In him was life. In him was life. I want to close this way. There is a word that's from God. And that word is God. <laughs> it's really interesting. There's a place in one of his essays where C.S. Lewis says, there is a people on this earth, they're the very, very last, last, last people who could possibly believe there's a man who showed up and he's God. <laughs> Those people said, if you show up and you say you are God, you know what the, the Jews did to a person who said he was God? They stoned him. <laughs> because if you say you are God, it is such blasphemy, it is capital punishment sin. It is like one of the worst crimes ever. So there's these people called the Jews. And then there's a Jewish man. And he starts saying things like, I forgive your sins. Wait, 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 wait. You can't do that. Only God could do that. Because Jews are not confused about their theology. <laughs> there's only one being, omnipotent, omniscient, <laughs> omnipresent of himself. Only he can forgive sins. Hello? You just say things like, well, I'm Lord of, you know, Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man, he's talking about himself, is Lord of the Sabbath. They're like, what? What, what, what are you talking about? Uh. And over time, these Jews began to realize this seemingly completely crazy man is no mere man. And they began to describe him. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's the same being. And in him was life. Let me return to you one more verse, which I gave you last week. Every human being, no matter where you go, I told you they're looking for this God. Let me tell you some of the things they're looking for. They're looking for glory. You know what glory is? It's a beauty that's so intense we can't call it beauty. <laughs> that's what I call it. Glory is beautiful with a capital G. Beautiful is too small a word to call glory. If there is no glory, we die. We wake up every day looking for glory. That's why the women do their hair. That's why the men look at all the sports highlights. That's why we count our money. When the money gets bigger, it becomes more glorious. At least it's closer. And here's what else you're looking for. You're looking for true. My atheist friend wishes Christianity was true, but he doesn't think it's true. Huh. We're looking for true. And we're looking for one more thing. I said to you last week, we're looking for a love which is unbreakable, which you can never earn. It's called grace. So, God made world. 
called the creation. We ruined it by trying to erase him. We ruined it by trying to erase him. And now we're floundering around. We're floundering around. We're like, we have our words. <laughs> and there are other words that today are just breaking apart. They're becoming you know, formless and without void. They're becoming for without form and void, like man, <laughs> woman. Woman is a word that's becoming chaotic. We have other words. Gender, non-binary. <laughs> and you wonder why the young people, they wonder, where's the glory? <laughs> they're not even looking for the glory of God. They're just looking for the glory of woman. <laughs> How can I be a good woman? <laughs> and they want the truth of it. And then you know what they want? They want someone to love them with grace. And they don't have the fullness of the glory of woman. Here's the good news of the Bible. The one, in the beginning, there's a word. He's God. He made you. He loves you with grace. He came to show us the truth because we just are so messed up and broken. And he didn't just stay outside the world. He came into the world. We just stopped believing he was present. So he said, let me be really, really present. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He dwells among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. There's so many things today where we're looking for glory. And we break it. And we're messing it up. But the God who became flesh, and you know his name. Jesus, he became flesh to dwell among us, to give us his glory, to give us creation, to give us the redeemed creation. And inside of our great longing for glory, he himself paid the cross, paid the price on the cross, and poured out his spirit so he could fill us with grace and truth. Brothers and sisters, let's not be enslaved to the words of man. Let's not be enslaved to the words of man. Let's live on the great, great, greatest word there ever is or ever will be, the word of God, the word who became flesh, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you are creator. Son, you are creator. Holy Spirit, you went over the face of the deep, over the waters, to push back chaos and fear and death so that in you, the word of God is life. And when we ruined it and tried to banish you from the world, we don't even have this word anymore that we use. People snicker and sneer when we say creation. And yet, thank you that you did not leave us. You came to dwell with us, O word of God. And you did not leave us to be enslaved 
to the wicked words of this world, the lying, lost, terrible words of this world. Instead, you be you the word came so the greatest word about you, the gospel, could be given to us and we could be filled with grace and truth and taste your glory that we're so lost. Father, thank you that you would give us your son, Jesus, the word of life. We are really poor at embracing him, loving him, believing in him, having faith in him. But help our unbelief and our pride and our wickedness. And I pray, Lord, we'd go out into the world and it would shine with the glory of God. Your grace and your truth, we would know this is our world. This is our God. This is our Redeemer and our Creator. And nothing could take this from us. Help us to live in this great joy and this hope in all things. And love our neighbors who are so hurting and broken and lost that their words are killing them. The words are killing them. And instead, give them your word so they could live. In Jesus' name, amen.